When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. We're here with Max Gerardo um, in his amazing premises in Fulham. Uh, and we're sitting right behind an original, not a fake, an original fully lightweight E-Type, which is in my in my top ten cars I want to drive. It's just a gorgeous, stunning machine. I've driven a semi-lightweight, but not one of one. how many cars, Max? That's a really good question. I should know that off the top of my head, especially given that. Like, shall we say about fifteen? Okay. I should probably know that off the top of my head. Shouldn't I? Yeah, I'd say. Well, no, you shouldn't. But let's say around about fifteen, of which thirty are competing <laughs> regularly. <laughs> <laughs> and and. Uh, and a, and a bright, budgy yellow uh, Daytona Spider. Um, with a great door handle. Which has got a great door handle design and it's one of the great cars to look at, hmm. not drive. Which we've decided there's one road in the world that a Daytona works on properly. <laughs> What's that? Where is it? It's on the way down right to Milan. Between, between, between Milan, actually, if I want to be really, and between Alsta and Milan, it's actually Santia and Milan. It's about 10 or 15k and it's dead straight. Dead, dead straight. Now that's the road for Daytona. <laughs> so we've decided the best road for Daytona is a straight or to strike. Let me, in uh, Italy, Pista, in sorry, yeah. Let yeah. me find the coordinates. Um, <laughs> on the A4. On the A4? The okay. A4. So um, the way we want to do these podcasts, okay, is we want to, we want to speak to friends, pals, who've got a view of, of the car market, be it uh, the expensive cars or the cheap cars. Um, of living with them, the discussions we have around them, all the stuff that, all the conversations you feel you can't have with your other mates, you know, the ones that in a pub, if you started talking about, you know, matching numbers, they'd say, oh, for crying out loud, Chris, Edward, you're boring. Uh, so um, I want to talk about, first of all, what we've done in the last week, because it's a great way to start a podcast and to remind people what we do for a living. So Max, what have you done in the last week? What did I do in the last week? So uh, last week I was supposed to go ice driving with Tuckill. And, uh, yeah, and due to global warming, on Sunday, I got a text message saying ice driving cancelled uh, because the, the ice is too thin. It's been a problem this year for him. It's been a problem uh, for him this year. So, um, and I was going with some friends, and the idea was we're all going to go to Munich, meet in Munich, 
and and go all together ice driving. So um, um, so my friend said, you know what? You've got a ticket to Munich anyway. Let's go for dinner in Munich anyway, and then come back on come back on Tuesday. It was, it was quite rock and roll. So off I went on Monday. Went to Munich anyway. Had dinner at like one o'clock in the morning. Somebody around the table, eight, eight of us all going ice driving, said. We've booked this restaurant for Wednesday night after, after ice driving in Sweden. It's supposed to be this, like we booked it a year ago. It's supposed to be this amazing culinary experience, 30 courses. You cannot get a table. It's impossible. And someone at dinner said, you guys have come to Munich for dinner. Let's go to Sweden for dinner on Wednesday. I was like, what? What's, what's that? I was like oh, uh, do we have to? And of course, what happens, everyone puts their hands up at dinner. And I'm like, oh, I just want to go home. Like, uh, of course, I've got to go to Sweden for dinner on, on Wednesday. So I stayed in Munich. I had to go shopping for underpants, socks, and, and, and trousers. Stayed in, uh, in Munich until Wednesday. Flew to Sweden. Had dinner. Amazing dinner. The most amazing dinner uh, ever. Flew back um, to, uh, to London on, uh, on Thursday. Went to collect my car from Short Stay Car Park at Heathrow Airport, because I thought I was going for one night. Paid £225. <laughs> had a bit of indigestion after dinner, and I uh, came to the office. So Max is confirming that the life of the international classic car broker is, uh, is just like working at McDonald's, isn't it? So he's flown for two dinners, come back and still groused about a £200 parking bill. I'd have thought that was the same as the starter in Sweden. Uh, but something about cars, come on, you must have, have no, you interacted on, with the motor vehicle in the Ca- last sorry, week. Sorry, sorry, of course, of course. So when I was in Munich, um, we, uh, I went to look at a whole bunch of cars, I went to look at a collection of Alphas whilst I was there. Might as well make, you know, make good use of my time. I went to see a guy that's got like a 33 Daytona, which we had one which we just sold. He's got a Maserati 300S. Um, he's, he went to show me his new Alpha 155 DTM in ah, Martini livery. Oh, right, okay, let's yeah. okay, stop there. So, because these are beginning to become valuable, aren't they? Is that because they've worked out how to run them now without the engines blowing up or what's going on? Yeah, I think that they've, there's, they're, they're easier, they're, they're for sure they're easier to run now. There's people that, for some reason, someone's figured it out. And now there's, they're becoming of that age where they're cooler and cooler, and there's a series. So he was saying to me that in Germany, there is a series for old DTM just cars. Just DTM cars. Just DTM cars. So he's got 155 DTM, and he thinks it's a competitive, fast, uh, uh, fast car. And so he's gone out. What do you think they're worth? It. I think they're worth a 155 DTMs worth somewhere between four and 500,000 euros. But this is, the, is this the very end when they were just diff, uh, one big diffuser and wing? It's and, unbelievable. I mean, and does that to need me. a team to run it or can you roll that off the transporter? No, for, you can't start, you can't roll our transporter. I mean, first of all, you can't roll our transporter because it's about, about an inch off the ground. So you probably need like a low loader to, you know, and this is the era of, of what we, what was, I suppose, were loosely termed super touring cars. So the, the British touring car series, the BTCC, wasn't quite in line technically with Germany. Germany was more advanced in some respects, but even in the UK, a Mondeo from the late 90s cannot be started until you warm the block because the you know until you warm the block, the piston is seized against the side of the cylinder. I mean, they're so the engines are just little racing machines. They're unbelievably complicated and expensive to run, and they're they've always been almost valueless in the classic car market because, because you can't so use them. They're just static yeah, objects. So how does a gentleman race? Uh... I just, take a DTM to the circuit today. He has his guys take it, and, and, and there is there's probably three or four guys to... It's probably to, to run it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we all look, oh, how do you do it? If you know what you're doing, I'm sure that, you know, two people, you start it, you go to your laps, and it's probably easy. Maybe you don't eke out every last tenth like they did when it was... Uh, when I think a lot of it's down to revs, isn't it? If the thing know. revved to 11 in period, you rev it to 10, and the engine life that you get from that is exponential, because every last RPM is... Is, is just killing engine life. I still think that 
that era of motorsport where they had super high revving, normally aspirated engines, is the most exciting, yeah. particularly in, in saloon great. car shapes. They sound amazing. But ha- how it's economical, I don't know. Yeah. Having said that, I raced, I say I raced, I drove a Nick Swift Mini, one of these things. Yes, that I, I that's know. what I've done in the last, that's actually was 10 days ago. Was that matching numbers? <laughs> matching numbers. But I, I drove one of these Nick Swift Minis. I've seen them at race circuits for years, watched them irritate me with their speed. Yeah. What a thing that is. But I think, do you know, if I, I drove it as well, I drove one at Goodwood, and I, I found it terrifying. Most, the most, the, the most, most terrifying car to drive ever, I found. Yeah, because you don't use the steering wheel. You no. just, you, you get the thing vaguely in a straight line. If you back off, the camber of the road means it just turns whichever way it fancies. It, it, it's terrifying. I, I, I was honestly terrified. Round Goodwood. Uh, and, and you just I'm about to, to race one at Goodwood. You're not helping here. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine because you're talented. My, my other car stuff this week, I, um, I, I have a classic Range Rover. It's one, one of the yeah. things that's close to my heart. I love, I've got a soft dash, which is that one year they made them in 94. Mm-hmm. So they announced the P38. Oh, you're such a train spotter. Go I on. am. They announced the P38, which is the 90s, you know, the Essex Boys Range Rover, the one mm-hmm. they painted yellow. So the, one in, the one in layer cake is the mm-hmm. best way to describe mm-hmm. it. They announced that, and everyone went, oh, it's not a real Range Rover. So they, to, to appease those people, they made one more year of classic Range Rovers. Right. As much as anything to hedge their bet, that if the P38 failed, they could, go they could just carry on Defender style making the old one. But they put a different dashboard in it with a load of Rover 800 switch gear. Rover 800. I mean, if you were gonna if you were gonna nick parts from a car, you wouldn't. Yeah. That's like that's like you could make any human being. You'd nick the personality from Edward Lovett. You wouldn't do that, really. right? Thank you. So so basically, they they did this car with the with the with the Rover 800 dashboard, and I love them. I've had a few, and I've had a few. I've had a few of them, yeah. And I bought this one many oh, years ago, and I made and I made the mistake of thinking. You know when you move cars around between, like, you, you've got a lock-up like I have that's not very conveniently placed, and you can have a couple of cars on your property, but not many. And sometimes you think, I can leave that one outside just for a bit. Mm. I'll leave it outside. Well, mm. of course, then I get busy. So I left it outside four weeks ago, went to start it. She's a bit flat. Then you think, oh, I don't remember that being damp. Then you look <laughs> under the carpet and squish it and go, where's that come from? And then you realise that, that a Range Rover's windscreen seal is kind of semi-porous. The well, water's coming in a, through the windscreen. They all do that, sir. That's a, it's a special feature. We but I love, I love my classic Range Rover. Yeah. There's nothing else that I want instead of it. There's something about burbling around in it, the driving position, the noise it makes. I think that the that's that very very overinflated super SUV market has been trying to capture the essence of the classic Range Rover for 20 years, and I still don't think they've quite managed it. I think the new G Wagon comes closest. Yeah, you guys, you're both guys. You both are like yeah, super in, in fans. In terms of, of the charm, because huh? these cars are about charm. There's, you can't justify them any other way. They're they're not as good as a saloon car, mm. and and if you want to go properly off road, you buy a Defender. They mix both, mm. but there's something about the way they look, the way they make you feel, the way you sit in them that's just charming. The G wagon comes closest, but honestly, if Singer was to do, if you were to Singerize a classic Range Rover, it would be a runaway success. You think so? Yeah. Well, what would it do better then? It just is charming. It, it would just, it's just, the, the shape is so iconic. Well, there's a, have you heard of Icon 4x4? Oh, yeah, yeah. there we go. Icon so 4x4. So he's, he's in the valley about 10 or 15 minutes from the guys at Singer. And he does it with um, FJ Toyotas and Ford Broncos. So he takes, he's built a brand new chassis. 
he puts uh, must brand new Mustang V8 engines in yep, these things, right. and they are incredible. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I've heard about that. I've heard yeah, about this. Year. Yeah, the, but they, how so, much are they? Three hundred thousand. Uh, you know, they're, they're two hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus plus. Well, none of these plus, things. But, the, but no, none of them. No. But, and, and but the product a, is the product's very special. You were talking about the market for you know you're going to go to Rimac and buy a buy a, buy a chassis, and then you go to different people to have them uh, have them have them bodied. I think there's going to be a great future or there is a great future for people like Singer and people I don't know about Icon or, or, yeah. or Automobiliamos all these sort of resto mod type cars yeah. um, it seems like they are all the rage I mean yeah. there, there are so many people not everyone does it well and very very few people do it well I mean yeah. I think no, look, the, these, the I, I think you know, there, is, there is a subject of price of these things but when you look at something that's executed so well there is a huge difference between someone having a go in a shed and these guys that are properly engineering, you know, re-engineering, re re-imagining. Well, I, I hate to say it, they're not going to need to in the future because if, if you're into the styling, mm -hmm. then you just have the, the base platform, That's chassis, point, whatever you call it. And, and it, it, it was honestly like having a Tamiya remote control car in the 80s. I can remember you'd yeah, turn yeah, up yeah, and yeah. my buddy had the Opel Manta and I had the yeah. Audi Quattro. And we and were... take the pins out. We were partisan, exactly. We were partisan about the fact that he had the Manta and I had the Quattro. Yeah. But actually, we had the same thing. Underneath, it was exactly the same machine with a different body on. And I can see that happening now. I mean, And don't forget, it's happened in the past. We've had bad en badge-engineered cars, haven't we? Yeah. So if you buy a Supra or a Z4 next year, if they ever sell you a Supra, how long has that been launched for? 19 years. <laughs> um, if those, that and a Z4 is the same car underneath. Mm. Yeah, it's a different body. Those. So we, we've, we've been there before, but it's just going to get... That's going to be amplified in the future. It really is. It's a... It's a it's partly terrifying because once they become too homogenized, do they have brand identities? I mean, it puts, it does put immense pressure on styling houses. I mean, we've seen... Well, I wonder if, so, so you think that sort of the, you know, Pininfrina went bankrupt and then got rebought, and, and Touring went bankrupt and got sort of re, you know, rebought. Well, All these styling people, styling companies, houses, are they going to have a future now? Is that the place to be? I think they do. Because if I, let's look at the architecture of a modern motor vehicle. Is the architecture of a modern motor vehicle owned by or developed by the car company itself or by third-party engineering firms? Normally the latter, isn't it? Mm, so yeah. Bosch, let's say Bosch are the best in the world. Bosch, Bosch probably owned the IP to most of the technology in your car. You know, if you want if you want the best suite of electronic aids, then you buy Bosch. That's the best out there. So if, if Bosch said, well, we've got the architecture to the electric car, and then why, why would we sell it to Audi? We just make it ourselves and then you can stick a pin in for in a body on it. Yeah, or as, or as but that's that's one thing about the classic the classic cars that that today you get into a whatever it is you know a, a nine eleven or a Ferrari and I know they're they're, they're different but I always I'd, I'd love to ch it's impossible I'd love to challenge someone or whether it's a Audi and a Mercedes to blindfold yeah you, Pepsi challenge sit in the car drive it and can you tell a difference whereas whereas I tell you the best the best thing is is you look in the um, uh, when the 356 or even a 911 you know in 1965 you could buy a short wheelbase of Ferrari which is a front engine V12 completely different thing or a 911 which is a rear engine um, uh, flat six but the way you drive them and the way they drive are completely different yeah. now a 911 and a F8 Tributo whatever the new thing the latest and greatest I bet you you know I mean, people, people are going to like say my name in vain now for the series but I bet you they're actually quite similar really or not that different? I think not my, as different as they were. My answer would they don't be that they, as, as I, th I think they're fundamentally just as different as they were. But the, but Maybe the, the performance. But is, the electronics is, and the engineering that's gone into them has, has made them similar to drive as long as you're using the systems. If you turn everything off, 
in a GT2 RS, mm -hmm. it is mental. Absolutely yeah. mental. And what's okay. keeping it, what's homogenizing it is the systems. If you, and you still have the ability to turn the systems off. Um, but if you maybe that's the problem, they're all the performance. Of if you the turn new the cars systems off, so good, yeah, that that you you have to run them on the systems. Let's mm -hmm. take this. So we're gonna one subject for, for for this for this podcast with Max, which I think fascinates myself, Max and Edward, is the the obsession with this phrase matching numbers. And when I say it, I start I I sort of I grin and I grimace and I, in some respects, it's the phrase that encapsulates everything that I don't like about the collecting car world. It, because it's it's such a tricky phrase. It's actually funny. I was just thinking about it now. You know, in in Italy, um, uh, there is no word for matching numbers. So if you talk is to somebody, not? well, the, the interesting thing is like you'll hear in conversation Italian collectors. They'll say, "See, sí, va bene, la macchina, my matching numbers." <laughs> so they actually and, <laughs> and in France, <laughs> that's brilliant. And in France, and in France, same thing. You know, we bonjour, la voiture, elle est matching. So, so they like actually. I just they have to know, use the English you've got to vocabulary. Use the English. I wonder if it, it comes from America or something. But if it, you know, it was obviously a new word, right? And it's a new, new thing, which is which has come about in the last. When do we point. think it? When do we think it became such an important aspect of the value of a car? Well, I can tell you. Um, uh, so I was looking through an old Coys catalogue um, because we had a we had a two seven five GTS that I was that that we were we were trying to buy for a client. I looked at the, at the old Coys catalogue. And in it, from 15 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, and there was no mention of matching numbers, original engine. So that's an auction catalogue, meaning that probably 15 or 18 years ago, yeah, probably people would ask, but it wasn't quite as important. I would say that it started to rise in the last 10 years. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. In the last 10 years, it's become more and more important. As the values grow, then, and, and there's more information on the internet, and everyone sort of wants information about the cars. Um, and more information is available. The, 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 the Ferrari factory with a certification to confirm to you whether it's matching numbers and Porsche with a certificate of authenticity. As this information comes out, then people start to, uh, yeah. to look and pay attention. But you, you so, are, even the auction catalogues have changed the way they've written about it in the last six years because they went from matching numbers to not stating it at all and now almost back to matching numbers. So let's deconstruct this. And, and then you, what, what is matching numbers? Take, take we're, 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 not, we're going to go. We've got that's that's a, that's the fourth question. Let's get to the first. The first, <laughs> the first one is this, and I'm asking Max because this is your world, and you and also yours, Edward. Oh, I'm a lowly journalist, um, but I think who does this benefit? That's the first thing you have to ask. When when, when a new nomenclature is established, when a, a new a new classification comes about for something, be it cars or table tennis or whatever you want to talk about, it has to benefit someone. Someone's done it to benefit themselves. So what? Who and why? It benefits the sellers. It is a seller somewhere that have said, hey, Chris, you should buy my Daytona Spider, you know? Or, and you say, well, yeah, yeah, it's okay. And, and the seller said to you, and you know, it is matching and, numbers. And are they doing and that because pitch. they think it, it adds value over and above other cars that they know don't have matching numbers? Yeah, or, or that, you, that, that you can't confirm that's matching numbers or the information's not there. Whereas some owner at some point said, I've got it here in writing, this car from the factory, from wherever source, it's matching numbers, so therefore mine's better and you pay more money. So I can already sense this is going to be a very slippery slope so, so, of a conversation. the moment we've established why it's come to be, we already have the first problem, which is authenticity. So who authenticates? Who's the point of arbitration for what is matching numbers. So I'll say to you that at the moment, the, the rightly or wrongly, but most people look to the factory. 
Okay, number one. Rightly or wrongly, because... No, no, but but that's not... The factories, the manufacturers. Yeah, okay. Well, it's funny, you know, we're sat here looking at a a Ferrari, and I think one thing that's been very good for the last eight or ten years with Ferrari is that actually it's very difficult to fake a Ferrari. You can re-stamp a motor, but it's very evident that... uh, um, that a sta- an original stamping is an original stamping. There's Why on the engine. Why is like XJS down there? <laughs> <laughs> there's a you know you have a numero interno, so it's very. There's yep. a lot of experts out there. It's very. Uh, you can tell very quickly that a Ferrari. That's the original number. It's original engine. Uh, but if you can fake a Rembrandt. But if you, you know, but if you, you the, can, reason, you can, the reason I'm saying that, I disagree that, with him. You can. There is there is an old boy. You can make fake cars. There's, there's an old the, boy in it. Do, do you remember? No, no, I'm not saying not, they're not making a fake car. I'm talking about. The identity, okay, the I'm talking standard. about the the numbers. Where if you sent a Porsche 1973 2.7 RS Porsche engine number to someone at the factory, all they'll tell you is, yeah, that's the right number. They don't look at the the actual condition of the real stamping and this that, you need that. some train spotter to tell you if like the, the stamping is okay correct. so so, so anyway. we're, we're, we've we've agreed to, to not agree about who, who who authenticates these things and whether they're doing it well or not that then we have to ask for me why does it matter because a, a car in its in its current form is still a chassis with an engine dropped into it. It makes no difference to me, and I, I'm I'm setting my colours out here. It makes no difference to me at all whether the engine was the original engine or not. I just want to make sure it has a really good engine. Yeah, that's what matters so, to me. So but that, the market doesn't care about that. The now. market doesn't care. And so let, let me let me start by by saying that I think I'll give you the reasons why. But then let me start by saying to you that I do think that matching numbers is way over hyped or or, or People put too much importance to it. So there's two things first, right? Racing cars and road cars, right? On a road car, you would like it or the buyer would like it to be matching numbers because you would think that that means the engine hasn't blown up, it's probably had an easier life, it's as it came out of the factory. And today that's, that's got a, a, a lot of value, right? People, people like that, you know? Uh, this car, and then if it has special history, Let's say Steve McQueen drove this car. It's like, oh, cool, this is the car, and that's the engine, and it's, and it's, it's exactly as it came out of the factory. So some people put more value to that, all right? On a race car, it really shouldn't matter. However, let's say you buy the um, uh, Aston uh, DBR, the GT1, the DBR9, or D, that one Le Mans, in first of all, Le Mans. Would you think it'd be cool? And let's, this is impossible. Let's say there was two Le Mans winners that year. One has got the engine it, it, with which the car ran at one Le Mans, and the other one has an engine that was put in five years later. Which one has more value to you? Which one do you think is better? Depends what I want to do with the car. If I want to go and if I want to sit and look at it and tell my mates that I've got the car, I want the engine that won Le Mans. If I yeah. want to use the car, then I want the freshest engine possible. But I also think I also think this, this is where we get down to you know for English for English listeners triggers broom scenario. It's fanciful to think that the engine that was used to win Le Mans was the one that was in it. Who knows? But Who knows? you're using that, that, the car you're citing there, there are two examples, though, two DBR9s. Yeah. But we're sat here looking at a 962... 956, Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. A no, 956, we'll third at Le Mans, 1983. If you're going to sell that car, the first question, or I don't even know if you'll be asked the question, does it have its original engine in it? Because it has no bearing. I, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it does, sometimes you think, if, it ha- if that car has an original engine, then... There's something wrong. Someone's tampered with it. Yeah. I almost feel better if it doesn't. I've been involved... I mean, to give you an idea of the resources available to all factory race teams for a long, long time. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There, things get changed on racing cars that even the drivers don't know about, mm-hmm. and you're and you're just told to get on with your job. And I, I have been, I've done even a Blancpain race, which is a pretty low form of motorsport, GT3. There's what? a lot of money <laughs> flying around. I've been in a race where I was told after the race, when we'd done quite well, that the night that the night while I was asleep the night before, a plane had flown in with an engine because a problem had been spotted. The manufacturer didn't want anyone to know about it. The engine had been changed during the night by by the mechanics who'd worked through the night. And I understand why they look so tired the next morning. <laughs> and I raced with a brand new engine. That will never go down in the history of the car. That won't be logged anywhere. I'm not saying that car will ever be worth anything. But if it was, if it had been a significant racing car, does that mean the car's worth less money? Because no one knows about the engine change at all. It was done for practical reasons. Because ultimately, racing cars, when they race, when they're new, are there to do one thing, to win a race. Yeah. And, 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 and what we said, it's sort of crazy that an engine's a big thing. It's, it's I don't know how many parts. It's, there's a lot of moving bits. There's pistons and there's heads and there's... And when, we, when, when people talk about matching numbers, they're only talking about one bit of the engine. Just yeah, one. Yeah. Just the block. And, and you could change everything else. Every piston, every camshaft, every tube, every radiator. Nothing else from 1972 or whatever, whatever year the car is. As long as that just one piece of metal. Because that's the only bit that's got a, uh, got a number stamped on it. So, so, so we, it makes no sense. So we're, we're slightly cynical. But if I, put, if I bought a 2.8 RSR... Which would be, my, I think, one of my ultimate cars. Mm. If I had a matching numbers two point eight RSR, Ooh, matching numbers. Well, <laughs> if it was not matching numbers, would it not be your ultimate? But car if, I, if I've bought it and I've bought it and it happens to be matching numbers, but I've not paid overs because it is matching numbers. It was just offered to me as being a car with matching numbers. It's got the correct engine. One owner from new, found in a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would I? Else. Would I go to Tuts? Go to Tuthill and say, "Do me a motor. I'm bunging in there a spec motor." So we put this one on the shelf. Because that retains the value of my car, I probably would. Because, because I'm because I'm I'm at the head of the marketplace. I think you'd I? have to, because so you can go and drive it with confidence without even worrying. Because you know the, these cars are expensive, and you have got to protect the value in some way. I would have thought. Well, I mean, the the, the, the ten million dollar question is: What is the price difference of two identical cars? One's matching numbers, and one's not. Oh, it's all the same old chestnuts. Whoever's in the but room, isn't it? Yeah, but, but also that's that's. You're, if, what if do you're you think? New engine. Will you price these things? So Ten. this day, this Daytona Spider here, okay, without power steering, it's, a, it's, a, it's <laughs> one of one of the purest, worst driving experiences you can ever have. It's a beautiful, beautiful. But car. with the top down, it is just a stunning motor vehicle. It's gorgeous. You now you can pretend your tubs and Crockett. It's just <laughs> mega. So if this had a different, if this had the wrong donkey in it, yeah. How much less? So well, I think, I think that's a very interesting question. N- not b- because that story 
or that number has changed a lot as the value of the as cars. As value goes up, that number's gotten bigger. Yeah, yeah, that's bigger. Uh, correct. So it's probably today it could be 30%, yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'll go, I'll go as, as it's, it's almost, yes, it's 30%. And on top of that, for a road car, which, which Ferrari is the worst example, for a road car, Ferrari, um, that's not matching numbers, 30% cheaper, and you still have to find the person that's you would gonna struggle, buy it. You know you why? You struggle to sell because, it. Because that car is worth, you know, whatever, two and a half million, and you can take 30% off, and it's, you know, 1.75 million, but someone that's got 1.75 million, not always. Would rather spend more to have the real one. But the, the, the interesting thing, well, so Ferrari will, for you, make a brand new Classic A block yeah. for it. So it's they still not they, matching numbers. It, it, no, it's not, it hasn't got its original engine in, but, they, but look, they'll put but an original spec engine in. A, a letter from the factory makes a much makes it a much easier pill to swallow for the next owner than yeah. a piece of paper with Ferrari saying, we yeah. made an engine for this. And it's interesting yeah. how so many of the manufacturers are now investing and getting more and more involved in, this, in their old cars yeah, and, yeah. and restoring certain you know, BMW, Ferrari... Obviously, Mercedes has been doing it for, uh, for, for, for a long time. Collecting cars. The safe, smart and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at CollectingCars and also CollectingCars.com. CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Welcome back to the Collecting Cars podcast with uh, Max Girardo. That's at Girardo and Co on Instagram and Edward Lovett at Edward Lovett on Instagram. And I don't know what my what's mine. I think I'm at Harris Monkey, aren't I? Which people don't like. The etymology there, by the way, is uh, based on only fools and horses rather than anything simian. And there's something outside that I want to talk about now because I know it's not not an organised second subject, but you've just got. An E46 M3 CSL. Yeah. Okay. That, for me, that's one of the great BMWs of the modern era. I agree. Prices have just dipped nicely. And I think in a way that sort of buoys me up again. Because I've been looking at these things for 80 grand and thought, it's overcooked. Mm -hmm. At 80 grand, they're not going to be used. They're going to be sat inside people talking about the fact they own them. They're owned by the wrong people. But it feels like we're getting back into a more sensible area of the marketplace. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And then, and then, and which is great. So people jump in, people use them. Maybe why did, why did you want one of those? So I can tell you, I drove one. Why did I want one of those? I drove one. I, I went to Southend to look at a car. Um, and I went to the storage facility where, where Abba Kogan had all of his cars. And Abba had his car out there. This is like 10 or 15 years ago. And, he, and, and I had to go somewhere else an hour on. And he said, take my CSL. And that's, uh, it's your car. I said, no, no, take it. And 8,000 RPM. Do it. Like, take it. And so I took it. I drove for 50 miles to see somebody else. Drove back. And it was such a memorable drive. Such a memorable drive. I always said to myself, one day I will own one again. I love that in those that era of M3, and I think they've probably still got it in the brand new M cars as well, where you, when you turn it on, the lights are on up until three and a half or 4,000 RPM, and as it warms up, you can uh, start stretching the legs. It's such what? an epic drive. And unless, unless, you're, unless you're a journalist and you ignore the lights oh, completely and use 8,000 I mean, RPM immediately. Such <laughs> lazy stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think we st I still look back on the E46 M3 as being one of the BMW sweet spots. It was the last of their proper analog cars. Yeah. They, it was a, a simple design 
with simple driving characteristics. The dashboard is so simple. E39 M5, E46 M3. That, that after that, they got a bit confused either with a bit of bangle styling or they went a bit too clever with V10 engines and SMG gearboxes. They became expensive cars to maintain and warrant. That's still relatively a simple car. And do you know what? It's quite... I mean, uh, you know, you, you were telling me about the, the gearbox is so slow. And, and it is by modern standards. It's not like... But you work with but it. you work with it. And I'll tell you what, as I can tell you from my Sunday drive, when you're at 8,000 RPM and you change gear... Okay, maybe it's a second or half a second slower. But to be honest with you, I don't care because when I changed gear, it went bang! bang. And, I felt the whole, and I was excited because it's single clutch in it. And I felt the whole car shudder. I was like, this is great. I the don't in, the induction blah, blah, blah. noise oh, on that fantastic. car. We, um, it doesn't matter if it's a bit slower. The, and I'll show my it. age now. That was 2002, I think it was, or 2003, BMW invited a few of us as journalists to the Nürburgring to the new circuit to the Grand Prix circuit to drive this vehicle they had called the M3 CSL Concept and we got there and there were 10 of those things they were with concept written on them and they were saying we're not necessarily building this and we're a few of us walking around going that looks pretty finished to me guys and um, and the weather was just biblical and it was it was the first car ever to use cut slip pilot sport cup which in those days was a pretty basic piece of rubber. It was just a, it was a racing compound with some grooves cut in it that wouldn't move any water at all. And they had a little area inside the car park at the, at the back of the circuit where you could do some skids yeah. under the supervision of, um, of a BMW driver. Um, and most of the journalists were just spinning off everywhere and, and decided to go and drink coffee. Not Harris, of no, course. No, 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 no. They were, uh, let me finish it. It's, this is not an ungreat story at all. It's a, it was a I'm reckless and I was quite young story. So we then go... And must, I'm there with Richard Meaden. So Dickie Meaden's there yeah. for Evo. And I'm working for Autocar Magazine. And the circuit just gets wetter and wetter and wetter. And we're supposed to be objectively testing this car. And ma- you know, the car manufacturers don't really like it when you just go and slide cars everywhere. Because all their hard work goes into making a great chassis. And you just go and do massive skids. They say, can you not do that? Anyhow, it just degenerated into a skid fest between myself and Meaden. The weather was so bad. It was soaking wet everywhere. And we just did about 20 laps fully lit sideways in these things I learned nothing about the car it felt I can't remember coming back and writing this story thinking just feels like an M3 to me it makes a bit more noise but you couldn't tell anything about the grip they told us about these hubs because the hubs go and look at the hub arrangement and all the all the wheel carriers are all hugely uprated on your car just to deal with lateral load because the tyre gave more grip we couldn't tell you anything about the tyre all I could tell you was the tyre was a bit more shit in the wet it was yeah. useless anyhow the best thing about the story was BMW used to have a policy that if you if you went with them on a trip, they looked after you. So if you if you went back to your room and had a you know a whiskey or something, they paid for it, and that was that. Which which was probably in those days taking a free gift without realising it. Anyhow, we come down as the English group the next morning in the Dorint Hotel at the Nurburgring. Oh yes. And the woman, the girl who was looking after us, stops us at the door and says, "You need to pay your extras." And I'm thinking extras? Well, I didn't have any extras, so I go and stand in the queue. I think actually I did. I had a bottle of fizzy water. And there's a queue in front of me of British journalists who remain nameless. And the person in front of me, of the establishment, the woman says, yes, you have to pay your extras. And he was looking a bit cheaper. So I don't think I had any extras. You watched a film, yes? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I think I, oh, I, by mistake, I impressed the film. <laughs> and she said, and she, and she said, I tell you, I kid you not, this film, Shaving Ryan's Privates. <laughs> 
I think it's like 12 euros. <laughs> and then walk off with his head down and I'll never mention his name. Well, that was the, that was the year that BMW stopped paying for the extras on <laughs> Because but, of the film. Because of the CSL. But, yeah. that was, CSL, but the, and we were given a key ring. We were given a key ring and I, I still have it. It's a lovely thing. And it contains all of the materials. It, they fan out of all the materials, special materials used in the car. It's a very, very special car. Um, and, and in some respects, it deserves to be 100 grand. But I'm really glad they're dropping down a bit and people are going to use them. The fact that I saw one out here, I thought, oh, great, people are using them again. Yeah, I drove. No, well, I said to you the other day, I think, you know, it's got to a sensible level now where someone can sort of save the price and you go like, fine, let's do it. You don't need to go and do much research. It sort of feels fair. It's the same, I don't know, how much is a fancy golf these days? Like a, a brand new golf, like, like not a fancy one. Like you can R. do forty grand 50 on a golf. Grand, yeah. I mean, I think if you bought one new, I'm surprised at how I'm learning at the moment with some of the cars I've been driving, just how lift prices are mean nothing now because they're all pre-registered. So once you go and buy one from the garage, that's done twenty miles. Mm. I mean, that's the other thing I've been doing to bore you in the last week is I've been getting ordinary cars in. I'm always accused of being out of touch. So I thought... I'm slightly disappointed you haven't turned up in, in the, the Corsa. Corsa well, I, I was in the Corsa yesterday and I thought it might be a stretch too far to come up here in it. But um, <laughs> So what I did was I, my assistant Christian, who's a great lad, works, works really hard for me. I just said, look, can you book in the top 10 best-selling cars in the UK? Research what they are. Let's book them in. Let's do some Instagram stories about them and try and understand... Why they're so good. Well, and also just understand what the current car market is about. Because I, I get drawn into the fast stuff and the expensive yep. stuff, and I've just lost touch with reality. That's what happens, isn't it, as you get older? Um, if you're lucky enough to graduate beyond that point, you forget what it was like. Mm. So the first one we had in was a Mercedes C220 diesel. That's in the top 10. Um, remarkable machine. Averages 55, 60 to the gallon. Almost uses no fuel at all. 0 to 60 in well under 7 seconds. 148 miles an hour flat out. It is all things to all people. But it's £45,000 for the, for a basic C-Class Mercedes. It's with, you know, cloth seats. I'd rather have a CSL. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, course, of course you would. But actually, you know, if you're in the market for that car, it's not £45,000, is it? You go in and it's buy... It's £99 a month. Exactly. Yeah. It's all on the monthly, as I'm mm-hmm. now realising. Li- we almost have reached the stage where we shouldn't have list prices for cars anymore. It's monthly rental yeah, prices. And I'm, and I'm now in a Corsa. I drove a Corsa yesterday, a 1.4 a one litre turbo... No, sorry, 1.4 litre turbo Corsa with 100 horsepower. Utter dirt box. Just, I mean, how they sell them, I don't know. It must all be to <laughs> lease rental houses or what have you. Just but not- it must go somewhere at some point. Well, must I, well I think you drive on the motorway sometimes, you see about 10,000 of them parked in a, you do, in a yeah. port somewhere. So they're, but, they're, but to so give you an idea, I posted, I posted the spec sheet, the picture of the spec sheet on Twitter, saying, how is this thing 20 grand? And that within 10 minutes, someone had come back with a picture of one that had done 20 miles, 68 plate for £11,900 at a dealer up north. So, you know, the prices mean absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, the, the cost of modern cars, for me, is the basis of the man maths that creates this community. Because what I do is I sit there and I go, right, let's be sensible. I'm going to buy a new whatever, and be sensible. Let's buy a new E63 because it's, it's reliable, it's got a warranty, and that's going to cost me whatever. And then a couple of whiskeys, a bit of a search on Pissonets, <laughs> Gerardo and Co. And I'm suddenly going, oh, what could I have instead? And that's how you sit down to buy a Mercedes S350 to get you around and be comfortable, and you end up the next day thinking, I just bought a Bentley Mulzahn. How, do, how, <laughs> how does well, that... I was like, I was like, that might be slightly particular to you. I don't know if everyone does. I mean, I hope more people but, do it. But, <laughs> but, I, 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 do, but I, think increasingly with, I think increasingly with the way that the market is moving and the way that... I think there's a sense we all have that 
this is the witching hour now. We've got a few years left of really enjoying these cars. You might, in five years' time, are you going to be smoking around London in a CSL? I'm not sure you are. Probably so not. get out there and do it now. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a leaf out of Ed's book and I have an, an i3. Actually, no, I'm going to have an i3S. I3S. Well, you would have to do that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've just got a second-hand i3 that I thought I bought well at 18 grand or something like that. Do you know anyone that's got a BMW dealership? Uh, yeah, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I'll ask this randomly, and I do this to my friends sometimes when I'm in the pub. Um, you've got 15 grand oh. to spend on a car. Let's forget about the toppy toppy. We do toppy toppy. 15,000 pounds. And, and this is, sadly, collecting cars. The amazing auction facility online has not launched yet. So you've got to go and buy this thing somewhere else. It, it, by, by the summer, you'll be doing this on the auction side. Because this is where we'll be all night. I'll be drinking my whiskey going, oh, I'll have one of those. I mean, the, amount, the amount of tat I'm going to end up buying. But 15 grand, what do you buy? 15 grand. And is there any rules here? No. Can it be no. the Corsa from that dealer? That's 68. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're, no. Buying a, you're buying something fun. Fine, okay. Oof. I'd like something 80s. Real wheel drive with a little bit of umph to it for 15 grand. I would buy. Can you get that for that money? I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm I'm going, I, I think you probably go and buy an E46 M3. I think you're right. Yeah. A non manual, M3. small wheels, so the 18 inch wheels, yeah. not, the, not the big wheels. Yeah. Uh, that would be a good car. Yeah. Yeah. And it would still perform like it did in 2002 or 2001 when they came out. I was selling those cars new. Oh, you're showing your age. Uh, well, or, or not. Yeah. I can remember turning up to see you in a in a pre-prod like a. It was a very early M3, and you were working at your Bristol dealership. W- would you still do that in Bristol around roundabouts in E46 M3? <laughs> Probably would. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I think I think the E46 is a car that resonates. Maybe that's my. Maybe that's my new sort of point of arbitration. I say to people, do you like the E46 M3? And if they don't like it, I don't want to be their friend. I, I, I've, 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 in the classic car world, um, I've decided that, that I'm not sure I've, I've found people that own Lamborghinis that are also charming and nice. Maybe that, that's my, my, like, do you own a Lamborghini in your collection? And if you do, then I just have to adjust. My... <laughs> yeah. yeah, mate, I've got a Galato. I've got one of those e-gear Galatos. I've got Galato. I think yeah. my, yeah, God, car pronunciation, that's another one. That's another one for another day. Yeah. Uh, um, so it sounds like you need to buy, you need to sell some of your things. Yeah. And it sounds like you need to buy an E46 M3. I, sounds like. Sounds I, like. I, 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 do you know what? You, I'm looking at that CSL Didn't you have an E30 there, and, I, and, and I think, M3? Uh, I've got an E30 M3 rally do. car that I still... I had, a, I had a black Sportivo that I sold. But I think the E30 road car thing is a bit overbaked for me. They it's don't, not very good on the road. They're okay. They're just a bit gutless. You know, you, 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 you can... You can sit there and crap on about steering feel and chassis balance, but when you get smoked in a straight line by a bloke in a 320D, you are thinking, I want a bit more oomph, really. Um, so that I, I think they're gorgeous things. I love what they stand for more than perhaps mm. the way they I think, perform. you know, when it comes to classic cars, and I tell, I tell, I tell people this all the time, you know, because, because we, the people come in here in the showroom and come in and they're brand new S-Class and they're brand new Bent, whatever, whatever it is, which is an amazing driving machine, Range Rovers now. They're just all so good. And I think that sometimes when you get into an old car or often when you get into an old car you have to sort of flick the switch in your head and I think people forget to do that um, so it's easier if you're, if you're getting out of your brand new whatever it is you know even a Golf and you get into a uh, uh, into a, a 50s car because you feel different and, and 60s as well 70s but you have to remember that 
These cars are 30, 40 years old. You know, you talk about the E30 M3. How old is that? Well, it must be getting year? 40 years old now, isn't it? No, 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 thir- no, no. no, it's 30 years. It was launched in 85. 95, 2005, 2015. Yeah, it's a 30-year-old car. I know. And although it looks modern, yeah, yeah. and when you get into it and you think, well, this should be like a modern car, but don't forget, it's 30, 30 years. It's a long time ago. I think, I think You've just got to slow it all down and enjoy yeah. it. But it's an interesting point, that. There is, a, there is a point at which modern tyre technology and power outputs cross over a bit. And I think the E30 N3 is in an, in an unfortunate place because yeah. the modern tyres you put on it are quite grippy. And the, it's only got 200 horsepower, so it doesn't really move around at all. It's not that quick, it, but it was so good in its day, it actually feels dynamically quite modern. So what it does now is it feels like a slow, yeah. modern car. Whereas if you get in a, you know, you drive that E-Type there, I mean, it's, they're just stunning because they move around the whole time. In fact, one of the strangest sort of conclusions I've reached on, about modern performance cars that I've been testing for my day job recently is that when you turn all the systems off, they start to feel like really old cars. Like a Pista on a circuit, a Pista around Fiorano feels like an old D-Type. If you turn everything off. Because it's got so much more torque than the grip can deal with and the track can deal with. Every corner you're coming out like this, sideways. And I thought, I remember this. This was like driving at Goodwood last year in a modern Ferrari. So it's quite interesting. It becomes like an old driving experience. But obviously with that, there's a lot of pitfalls. If you get it wrong, you're off. Mm. But the E30 M3 is a good example of being slightly the wrong side of it. Mm -hmm. Like a Lotus Sunbeam or something a little bit older with less grip, then it's, does, uh, that really does move around and feel old yeah. school. Yeah. Or, or weirdly, my my E twenty eight M five, that I'll, I won't sell that because that is a that has tomorrow's engine with yesterday's tires. Well, that's that's what that's what I think people forget now. Like you, you, you the, the driving experience that you have. I'm, I'm bored of listening about performance and lap times around the Nurburgring and how much horsepower because on the road is, you know, can't, can't, I want to hear about driving experiences. And I, yeah, and I also, yeah. the other thing is, I want to hear about what is it like inside when you're sitting in the car? Not to bang on about the CSL, but, but they're like a, a GT3 RS. When you get into these, you know you're in something sporty. You don't have to drive you, it quickly to feel special. No, you feel you know? like, and I like the Alcantara steering wheel, and there's carbon here, which probably makes no difference. I've stopped you, you there, just, I've stopped you there. Alcantara steering wheel, no. You don't like them. Okay. Oh, that was the first car. Well, they, they, were st- they were definitely, E46 was the first era where uh, M3 steering wheels Give were getting quite why. chunky. Give me two reasons they why. They wear out. <laughs> first of all, Alcantara was designed to provide grip against a glove. If you're not wearing a glove, it's not very grippy. Oh, you don't wear or, driving gloves. I, I always we wear driving We all wear driving gloves. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Leather um, ones. And the, and the other one is, and I, I, broadly under the heading of Mung, M-U-N-G. There is DNA in there that I don't want. The steering wheel on my AMG is a year old and it is, it's got a matte colour. It's just been flattened down because lots of people drive my estate car for work and I know that they go and have chips or a McDonald's and there's just, there's just other people's matter in my oh. steering wheel. And I don't That's want that. not your car though, is it? Well, it's owned by Mercedes-Benz. I lease it from them. But if it was your... Oh, you, uh, so that is your car? That is my... I lease ah, that okay, car, yeah. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't let it. Well, well you, could, you could just sort of get a new set of friends. I'll, give, I'll give you a very or good... Or a new I'll, I'll give you or a, a new very good, <laughs> To use the word friends, I'll give you a good anecdote, and he won't mind me sharing this for, for, for the record. Uh, Mr. Mr. Matt LeBlanc <laughs> is a big AMG fan as well. He's, he's, got a, he's got an... Uh, a, he's got a... What's it? Which one is it? It would be a... ML63 AMG, he's done lots of miles and he's very fond of it. And it had, and he was the one that made me obsessed with Mung, because there's something about these steering wheels that was annoying me. They what lose grip. Mung just means mess, sort of scuzz. It's a great word. Mung I don't is, have it on my steering wheel. It's onomatopoeic, isn't it? You say Mung and you do imagine. Bleh. And 
he got so fed up with the Alcantara shining up and just being horrible, he went to his Merc dealer and ordered, he got them to do him a leather steering wheel. So he's got a non, he's got a proper leather steering wheel. And it's nicer. Alcantara is just a, it's a marketing fad that you two have bought into. Good, and now you've been educated. No, I just said I like an uh, Alcantara steering wheel. I'm, I, I feel like I didn't buy my M3 CSL. I don't know if I can drive anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to. We can just so, get, so, would you so, want to buy so it? So LeBlanc's <laughs> I need well, to don't, out tell, it now. don't tell me 49995. <laughs> so in, in, in 30 years' time, we're going to be offering uh, LeBlanc's uh, AMG on the auction platform. Specially saying, ordered yeah, with yeah, a exactly, leather. Yeah. One, one, one of one. One of one. Leather Match, rim. Matching numbers. <laughs> matching matching numbers. numbers. Leather rim. <laughs> leather rim. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think, I think that's a, a good place to conclude this first podcast. So thank you to Edward. Uh, and thank you to Max and also the beautiful surroundings of this showroom which he doesn't know this yet is going to become a regular haunt (laughs) for this this particular production because we get to sit amongst beautiful cars and and gas absolute Tommy rot about cars but um, uh, great fun thank you very much thank you very much don't forget guys follow us on Instagram at collectingcars.com and we'll have all of our podcasts listed on your podcast provider Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.